Good morning. How are we this morning? Doing all right? Hey, we are in Galatians chapter 2. Uh, page 914 in the Black Bibles around the room. If you want to interact, I would encourage you to interact with God's Word this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can turn your Bible on in your phone or grab one of those Black Bibles, or maybe you brought your own with you. I want to encourage you to bring your own uh, Bible with you as well as we're studying uh, the Scriptures. Today we're just in two verses, kind of midway in this, uh, in chapter 2 of Galatians. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to a church that's in trouble, a church that has been infiltrated by some false teachers that are saying, believe in Jesus and obey the law, and that's how you will be saved. That's essentially how you will be accepted by God. You believe in Christ, and you live a good life, and when those two things are mashed together, then you are acceptable before God. Paul says, no, not a chance. We are justified. That is to say, we are made righteous by our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work on our behalf, and that's the only way we are saved. And actually, our behaviors and our obedience and our good works for our neighbors that flows out of that acceptance. So, We obey because we are accepted. We do not obey so that we can be accepted. And that's the truth that Paul is driving at. So the title of my message this morning is Justified by the Grace of Christ. And you're going to see it uh, explicitly. He's actually going to say it three times in Galatians 2, 15 and 16. That's where we are this morning, page 914 in the Black Bibles. This is God's word. He's taking up an argument. He's in the middle of an argument. He's speaking to the apostle Peter here. He's reminding him. He says, we ourselves, Peter, are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. The word sinners there should probably be in quotations. That's how we would do it. We would throw up the fingers around that. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified or made righteous by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed into or in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Will anyone be justified by works of the law? According to the Bible, no. By obedience, no. That is not how we are justified. This is God's word. Father, would you speak to us this morning? Would you make this truth applicable and real? Would you confirm and comfort hearts of believers, followers of Jesus in this room? And would you stir hearts of searchers this morning? Those who are searching, who are asking the question, Jesus, are you real? Is this for real? Is this for me? Would you confirm and would you stir hearts this morning across the board in every seat? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have heard in the last five sermons that we are justified by grace through faith in Jesus, not by our works, not by our obedience. You've already heard it actually this morning. Can we move on? Nope. We cannot. We're going to settle in here for a little while longer. We're just getting started. Are there any football fans in the room this morning? There's a handful of you. I've never done this before, and I'm a marginal, nominal football fan. Although, if I were to choose a team, I like the Seahawks. They would be my my team that I would choose. So, maybe this sounds familiar. Gentlemen, this is a football. 
Does this sound familiar to anybody in the room? Is that a story that maybe you have heard? Does that cue something in your mind? Gentlemen, this is a football. It's July of 1961, and there are 38 members of the Green Bay Packers who are now, uh, who have collaborated, who have come back together for a, str- a, a spring training camp. They have just six months earlier lost the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles, and they've lost it. They've blown it late in the fourth quarter. And so all of these 30 members of the Green Bay Packers, you could argue some of the most elite athletes on the planet, they are gathered together for training camp, they are gathered together to prove themselves, they are gathered together, they've been stewing on this loss now for six months, and they want to prove that they can win. But their coach, his name is Vince Lombardi, he had a very different idea. He came with this idea, as biographer writes, he took nothing for granted. He began a tradition of starting from scratch assuming that these football players, these Green Bay Packers, were blank slates who carried over no knowledge from the year before. And he began with the most basic statement of all. Gentlemen, this is a football. And from that point forward, he began to build on the basics, how to block and tackle. He took them back into the very first pages of their playbook, and he began to work them forward from there. He essentially taught them the game of football, professional athletes, professional football players. He taught them the game of football from the ground up, assuming nothing. And six months later, they would come to the Super Bowl again against the New York Giants, and they would beat the New York Giants in the Super Bowl 37-0. to that year. With a firm grasp on these fundamentals, they persevered and they won the prize. And Lombardi would never lose a playoff game again. In fact, they would win five championships in seven years, and three of those championships would be back-to-back. This back-to-the-fundamentals, this return-to-the-fundamentals has become legendary, legendary enough that many of us in this room have heard the story And so our study of Galatians is taking us back to the fundamentals. Everything that we build rests on this sturdy footing that we are justified by faith in Christ alone. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, he he catalyzed the Protestant Reformation, the break of the protesters from the Roman Catholic Church. As he was reading the scriptures, he, he saw this idea of justification by faith in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And then he would later write in his commentary to the Galatians here, he would say this, he would say, justification by faith is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. What that means is it's the foundational article of all Christian doctrine. Where the no- it's the place where the knowledge of all godliness exists, consists. He was teaching this group of young pastors as he's writing this, uh, th- this commentary on this book of Galatians, and he says this. He says, we should know the article of justification by faith well. We should teach it to others, and we should beat it into their heads continually. That's his quote. And so that's what we're doing this morning. That's what we have been doing over the last five weeks and now six. We are having the fundamental of our belief, of our doctrine that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone saves. We are having that beat into our heads this morning. I've been having that beat into my head and heart over the course of the week, and that's where we're going. So gentlemen, ladies, this is justification. We need justification. We need to know what it is. We need to understand it. Why do we need justification? It's a question for us. Why do we need justification? Without justification, 
this doctrine of how we're made righteous and acceptable before God, there is no way for us to alleviate our guilt. There's no way for us to cover our shame. There's no way for us to pacify our sense of dread around our imminent meeting with God. Without justification, we are held responsible by God for all of our sins, and there are millions of them. All of humanity created by God and living accountable to him. Without justification, the only option that you and I have to soothe our troubled consciences and to find peace is to seek it out through our own means. So we need justification because we're going to go chasing it by our own means and our own means are going to fail. This is where our alcoholism comes from and our addictions. We're trying to bring peace to our hearts, to our heads. We're trying to soothe ourselves. This is where our sexual addictions come from. This is where our overwork comes from. This is where our quitting and detachment from any sense of responsibility comes from. This is where our power tripping over others comes from. Our backbiting as we push other people down to lift ourselves up. Look at your life. You're struggling. You're struggling with things. There are things in particular to you that you are struggling greatly with. You know you're not okay. And you have this nag at your back. And it consistently brings this pressure to escape. This pressure to avoid. This pressure to perform. To do something with the guilt that you feel or the shame that you feel or the fear that chases you closely behind. Shame says, I am no good. That's the language of shame, that I am no good, that I am broken. Guilt says, I have done something wrong. It's this weight that understands that you have broken laws, you have done things that you shouldn't have done, and fear says, I am not safe, and things may not be okay. And the proud person says, I've got all that I need. And that person is a fool. And if you're struggling with your shame, if you're struggling with your guilt, if you're struggling with fear, there is so much hope for you. There's even hope for the proud person, but you must first be humbled. You guys, if we were to have every single secret thought, secret action, secret word, secret attitude, secret internet search flashed up on this screen for all to see and we were to systematically work around the room just the things that we've done, said, thought, searched for this week, we would hang our heads in shame. I would hang my head before you in shame. If all that were on the screen, you and I would wither. We need an intervention. And so what we need is the strong presence of a loving parent to take us by surprise, to intervene, to sit us down, to wipe away our tears, to assure us that our life really can, legitimately can, be put back together again. That's what we need. We need to know that our family, our father, will cover the bill for our rehab. And we do have a father and we do have a family like that. And that's what justification brings to us this morning. John Stott, uh, a theologian from the UK and pastor who's now passed away, he says this in his commentary to the Galatians. He says that Paul is writing about a universal human need. There are two things that we know for certain, Stott says. The first is that God is righteous and the second is that we are not. 
First thing we know, we're, God is righteous. The second thing we know, we are not. And if we put these two truths together, they explain our human predicament of which our conscience and experience have already told us, namely, that something is wrong between us and between God. We're under the judgment. We're under the just sentence of God. We are alienated from his fellowship and banished from his presence. And then to quote Paul in Second Corinthians, for what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship is light with darkness? The most urgent question facing humanity then is, how can a man or woman be made righteous before God? Or how can a condemned sinner be justified. So what is justification? Justification is an act of kindness. Actually, it consists of two acts of kindness from God. So justification isn't just this thing that hangs out in your head. It's a demeanor from God. It's, it's knowledge, yes, but it's, it's demeanor and activity on God's part toward us for our benefit. It is kindness from him. First, justification is an instant Notice these words. It's instant, complete, legal act of God in which he forgives our sin in its entirety. There's no need for you and I to request a payment plan on justification. It's instant. It's complete. It's full. Justification, it produces a receipt for us, kept in heaven, secure, guaranteeing that our debt has been paid by Jesus Christ on the spot and in full. That's the first side of the coin of justification. The second side of the coin of justification, it's an act of kindness that our debt has not only been paid in full, but that Jesus' full and perfect obedience, his righteousness, is credited to our account. You can think of justification, it's actually a, it's a legal word. It's borrowed from the courts of law, so you can think about it in a judicial sense. In fact, it's incredibly helpful for us to do so. When a judge declares a person justified, he declares them to be not guilty in the eyes of the state. And so no matter who continues to bring charges, the judge's declaration is authoritative, and it stands. There is no one who can overwhelm it, no one who can override it. Romans 8.33, Paul writing to the Roman church, he says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies the ungodly. See, to have all of our past sin forgiven, it's an incredible gift. It's an amazing gift, but where does it ultimately leave us? If all of our past sin is forgiven and we bring our account back up to zero, it's an incredible gift, but where does it leave us? What a gift. Now don't screw it up, right? And we know ourselves really well. We know that you can bring that balance up to zero, but soon and very soon, I'm going to go off of the edge. I'm going to begin doing things to God, to people that are sinful, that are against his righteousness, and I am going to then be held accountable for new sins. We know ourselves well, so there's freedom from the debt behind us, but there's slavery in front of us because we'll soon accrue a new debt with every new sin that we'd never want shown publicly on a screen. So we can think about justification even like our bank accounts. Your account is overdrawn. There's no hope for you. Not even Dave Ramsey can get you out of this mess. Then someone comes and brings this account up to zero, and you are absolutely floored. This is an amazing gift, but that's their first move, and they're just getting started. Their second move is to attach your bank account to their bank account, and then to tell you to spend as you please. Would you think that's good news? (laughs) Yeah? 
Incredibly good news. Justification is at the center of the good news of Jesus because that's God's guarantee to us. Every single spiritual debt covered by Christ, no more separation from God. But it doesn't stop there. Every spiritual benefit added by Christ as his full and righteous account is attached to ours. So justification for us is two acts of kindness by God. And how is a person justified? Look at verse 16. How do we get in on this? Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. We know, Paul says, that a person is not justified. He's actually he's saying this three times in kind of in, in different senses. We know, generally speaking, the Jews, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. How do we get in on this? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, and he's now he's making this personal. It's not just Jew, for the Jews to know, but, but we also, he's saying to Peter, we also have believed in Christ Jesus as people, as individuals, in order to be justified by what? By faith in Christ, and not by works of the law. And then he gives one last statement that's just a universal sense here, because by no works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So how do we get in on justification? by empty-handed faith in Christ. To try to pay ourselves for a debt that we cannot is foolishness, that we cannot pay for is foolishness. How do we get in on being declared righteous for 10 billion times 10 billion years? Put your hands out. Put your hands out and make sure that in your hands there is nothing in them because the moment that you and I have a little token that represents our good works, that represents our church, that represents our willingness to be inconvenienced for the gospel, that represents our patient parenting this week, that represents our kind words and prayers for a friend in need, as soon as we start to put those tokens in our hand and begin to offer them as payment, as wage to God for our righteousness before him, it's null and void. Our hands must be empty. The only thing that you and I can do with empty hands, do you know what we can do? The only thing, the only option in front of you and I with empty hands is what? It's to receive. That's it. That's our work. And the moment that we put a token in our hands, it's no longer a gift. It's a wage. We imply by that, by those appeals to our good works, well, accept me because of my good works. I've lived a good life. I'm a good person. I've done these good things. We imply by saying those things that God can be bought off, and he can't. He cannot be bought. You and I are unrighteous before him, unable to save ourselves. The millions of individual granular debts, the ways that we have fallen short millions of times of the glory of God, in our thoughts, in our actions, in our attitudes. They cannot pay the debt that must be paid. We know that we are not righteous. So what do we look to in order to be justified? Everybody has to respond, right? Everybody has to respond in some sense to God's free offer of righteousness. I mean, we can't exactly do nothing, so there's only one way that we respond to God's offer of righteousness, and it's by receiving and resting our full weight on the promise that our righteousness is fixed and immovable and exterior to us. It's not inherent within you. It's not based on your past record or your resume. It's based on the work of Jesus Christ alone applied to you and I. His death in our place, his righteousness for us. It comes freely to you and I as a scholarship. You could think of it like that. It comes freely to you and I as a scholarship that only Jesus Christ has labored for. We get our righteousness on someone else's Christ's dime. 
That's how it works for us. We get our righteousness on someone else's dime, Jesus Christ's, and we do so by faith. What is faith? Faith is this kind of junk drawer word in our culture. Is it not? We have interfaith movements. You know, I rely on my faith. Well, what are you talking about when you say you rely on your faith? Are you relying on your faith in who or in what? What is it that we put our faith in? Faith in a subtle and simple way can just be described or defined as trust. But we need to fix the way that we use the word faith in the Christian community. We need to uh, essentially define it and use it in a particular sense. What does it mean to put your faith in Christ? We put our faith, we put our dependence, we put our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11.1 gives us a biblical definition for what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction or evidence of things not seen. And then in, in Hebrews 11, after Hebrews 11.1, he'll go on, the author will go on to Hebrews 11.6, and he'll say, without this faith, without this dependence, without this trust, it's impossible to please God because there's a move that we first got to make. One must believe that God exists. We've got to actually believe that he's there. We've got to actually believe that he's present, that he's real, that he's actual. And not only that, but we must believe that he rewards those who believe in him, who earnestly seek him that he rewards us. I want to read to you an excerpt from a guy named Joe Thorne's book, The Heart of the Church. Uh, He explains faith really well, and oftentimes it's better to just read someone else that's put a lot of thought into these things than to try to say something um, that they have already said so well to say it myself. So I'm just going to read this. Faith is often thought of as a leap into the unknown, a blind acceptance of a wish not really based on anything. But Christian faith is not wishing. It's dependence on Christ and his promises and truths revealed in Scripture. Faith is based on what God has said in the light. It's not a trust fall into the dark. Faith is best understood as being made up of three parts, knowledge, assent, and then trust. Saving faith in Jesus Christ requires knowledge of facts We cannot believe in Jesus unless we know who he is, know what he did, know what it all means. Jesus' righteous life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection from the grave save sinners from sin, death, and hell. Unless we know this, true faith is impossible. But knowledge alone is not yet faith. Many know the truth but do not yet believe it. Knowledge must be accompanied by assent. Assent is agreement with the facts and acknowledgement that they are true. Some consider themselves to be Christians because they assent to the truth, but even then this is not faith. Many people, even demons, know the facts about Jesus and agree that they are indeed true. Think for a moment of a stool. If you walk up to a four-legged seat, you know what it is. It's something to sit on. You can see how it's made. You know what its purpose is, and this is knowledge. You can examine it closely and conclude that if you were to sit on it, it would bear all of your weight. Agreeing that it could hold you is a scent, but it's not yet faith. Faith happens when you sit on the stool and rest. Such resting is the essence of trust. And so trust, the final ingredient of faith, knows the facts, it agrees with the facts, and then moves a person to fully rely on the mercy of God in Christ. To truly believe requires more than a religious head nod to the promises. It also includes receiving and resting upon them. 
and faith additionally always requires repentance. And repentance is turning from our sin and turning to Jesus Christ. So faith is to rest the full weight of our trust in Jesus Christ, and repentance is to hate our sin and folly and to turn from it and toward Jesus. And we do this over and over in the Christian life. Martin Luther, he actually said that, uh, he said that all of life is one of repentance. All of life is of repentance. So we repent for the very first time to come into the family. We turn from our sin and folly and we turn toward Jesus Christ. This is the act that is instant, final, and complete of justification. We are in, not out. We are adopted and loved, never to be turned away. And then as we continue the process of repenting of the things that we give ourselves to, turning from them and literally turning to God, this is an ongoing process of of sanctification. It's the It's the... It's the movement of the Christian life where God continues to move us by his strength to becoming more and more righteous in our actual reality. It's growth and on-the-ground righteousness. That's what sanctification is, and we're going to hit that really hard next week. Justification by faith alone, it's a universal Christian doctrine. No one has understood gospel Christianity who has not understood justification. And those who deny that we're justified by faith alone hold to a false gospel and, according to the Bible, are still in their sins. They've not been cleansed and therefore do not have salvation, do not have peace with God. So there are some implications for us around justification. Justification is two sides of one coin. It says that all of our sins have been declared forgiven. We are justified. We are legally declared righteous by Jesus Christ. And the other side of the coin of justification says that not only that, but all of Christ's righteousness has actually been given to us by God. It's imputed to us. That doesn't mean that it's infused in us. That doesn't mean that I am actually righteous in my life. That means that I am positionally righteous. And now God is doing the work and will complete the work that will bring me to that place of purity and holiness and righteousness before him. He'll do that over the course of our life as he continues to sanctify and purify us. And then when we meet him face to face, that work in finality is done. Our, our actual righteousness will then comprehend with our positional righteousness in God. So there are some, there, there are some implications. I've got six of them and we'll go pretty quickly here. Justification. This is an implication of justification. It's a legal declaration that is accomplished by God alone. If we are declared righteous by the judge, no one can overwrite and no one can undo this decree, and no one but God can accomplish it. You do not partner with God in your justification. You simply put your hands out and receive the free gift that he has to offer you. Additionally, an implication of justification, the doctrine of justification, is it is instant and complete. It's not gradual. It's not left undone. There is no human being alive, including in this room, who is partially justified. Every single human being who is justified is fully justified or they're not justified. It is an either or. It's not a both and. Third implication is that justification is a comfort. 
because we can't pacify our guilty consciences permanently, because we can't free ourselves from our shame permanently, because we cannot alleviate our fears permanently, the free gift of justification comes to you and I as a comfort, like the sight of an airplane to those who are stranded in a raft in, a raft in the middle of waters that they cannot save themselves from. They are floating, they are alone, they are relying 100% on help that is exterior to them. So no matter what has been said about me this week, no matter what has been said by me, to me this week, the truth of God reigns. I know the Father's position towards me through the objectivity of his written word delivered to the saints once for all time. That what he speaks to me and over me overwrites and overpowers any of the lies that I speak to myself or the condemnings that I speak to myself. And in addition, overwrites all of those who would condemn you, who would speak things to you and do things to you as well. He says, if Jared is with my son, then I am with him always for all time. Justification is a comfort for us. Not only that, here's the fourth implication. I'm going quick. You don't need to write them down. You can listen to the podcast if you need to catch up. Justification is the gateway to an eternal supply of courage and power. He'll get to this, Paul will, in our text next week in verse 20 of Galatians chapter 2. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I, that's right, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Justification is the gateway to an eternal supply of courage and power. Since you and I can't earn it, that means you and I can't lose it. We can only receive it once. We can only reject it. Those who are justified by faith become new humans. And yeah, we're not the fully sanctified future versions of ourselves, but God is working that out in us, and he promises to keep that work going until the very end. Justification introduces freedom. It introduces blamelessness to the Christian, whereby we can begin choosing to walk according to the Holy Spirit, not out of slavish fear of messing up and losing daddy's approval, but instead through gratitude-saturated freedom that preaches, can you believe this is true? true for believers it's called good news because it's good news and it almost feels too good to be true but it's not it produces this is the fifth implication it produces a grateful people a people who can't help but smile my desire for this church is that we would be the most grateful people in all of this region when people talk about us they should be remarking how constantly we thank christ for everything what would it look like for you and i to get obnoxious with our gratitude and aim it straight at what christ has done for us can you believe that he's done this can you believe that he helped walk me into that reconciliation process can you believe that he helped And when I want to avoid confrontation, he walked me right into it and he has sustained me and he has actually helped bring some freedom to all people involved. Can you believe that he has done this for us? The sixth implication is that justification glorifies God and this is the big one. Justification is ultimately about the glory of God. The Father has designed and willed your redemption. He has designed it and he has willed it. What that means is that he wants it. He's not bearing with you. He's not begrudging. He has aimed his love at you directly at the person in your seat that is not contingent on your performance for him, that is not contingent on your victories, that is not contingent on your worst days. He has aimed his love at you and he has desired to have you and he will have you. 
This is what it means to be the elect people of God, that he will work out his purposes in us. And Christ has accomplished our redemption through his perfect life, through his brutal atoning death, and through his glorious resurrection from the dead. And the Holy Spirit is the one, this triune God who wakes us up to this glory this reality, and he moves our hearts toward the goodness of God. He regenerates our cold, hard hearts. He turns them into sponges that soak up grace and wring out gratitude to God for what he has done for us. And this is six implications, and there's like 50 more. 60 more. We could probably sit here for hours and just keep coming up with the implications and all of the various ways that justification, the fact that you and I can't earn it and you and I can't lose it, is good news to us. So, what do we do in light of today? What do we do with this? Does it just stay in my head? Does it dump in my heart? It creates gratitude. I want to do something with it, though. Like, I want, I want something tangible. Give me something, Jared, for followers of Jesus. Memorize this phrase and preach it to yourself. I am not guilty. I am justified by faith in Christ Jesus. I am not guilty. I am justified by faith in Jesus. I am not guilty. I am justified, made righteous by faith in Jesus. What is it? I am not guilty. I am justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Every single time you preach this to yourself, seeing and understanding this, it should move you not to selfish indulgence, but actually to grateful obedience. And then, here's something else that may be helpful. Preach to your best works. The most significant things that you have done, whether it's whatever it is that you look to to make yourself right, to make yourself whole. If somebody were to say, hey, you're a bad Christian. What's your first argument? But, 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 but I do this, but I do that, but I believe this, but I do that. But... Preach to those very things. You do not save me, and you do not justify me before God. You serve to glorify God. I'm not saved by my best works. I'm not disqualified by my works. Preach to your worst moments. You don't condemn me before God. Jesus Christ is my righteousness. Jesus Christ is my righteousness. Jesus Christ is my righteousness. And that will free you to stop looking in at you, but to begin looking out at others. And it is a process, and it is hard at times. But I want to encourage you to find and to preach to your own soul, Jesus Christ is my righteousness. It's not based on anything that you do. And for those who are compelled to become followers of Jesus, this news sounds good. You believe that he is Lord, that he really lived, that he really lived a perfect life, that he died, that he was resurrected or raised from the literal dead on the third day. Turn from your attempts to make yourself good before God. Turn to Jesus Christ and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. Trust that Jesus Christ is the only means of your salvation because he alone has died for your sins and been raised from the dead to prove that he's the only one who can declare you righteous. And if this is you, memorize this phrase and preach it to yourself. I am no longer guilty. I am justified by faith in Jesus Christ. I am no longer guilty. It's happened for you maybe today, maybe this week, maybe very recently. You are no longer guilty but justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And that justification, that declaration from the living God stands forever. You can't undo it. 
And that's really good news, because I would have a thousand times already in the last decade at least. Ladies and gentlemen, back to the fundamentals. The first page of our faith is, this is justification. If you're a brand new Christian, if you're wondering what Christianity is all about, this is page one of the playbook. You're coming in on the ground floor to know what it is that we believe. The justified, God's word says, shall live by faith. And that faith is directed at the God-man, Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Father, this morning as we've been exploring doctrine, as we've been looking at a simple summary, really, of what justification is and what it means for us, would you cause some sentence, some phrase, some thought that maybe wasn't even said by me but was spoken by you into the ear of the person hearing, would you cause those things to settle down deep in us and to ring true? Would you help your church stand on the fact that we are justified? And when we do well, would we see that you don't need our good works but our neighbors do? And will we not rest on our good deeds or even our right belief for justification? But will we rest wholly on the work of Jesus Christ alone, applied to us, given to us, gifted to us? Lord Jesus, help us to believe. So much of this still for many of us in the room, may just feel like, may have a sense that it's just kind of religious talk that's not dumping into my heart. For that person, I pray that it would. They would be affected by your spirit. They would understand that you are God and that you justify the godly, the ungodly. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.